One of the most important things that you can do um, for your sales team is empower them to connect with the buyer. The majority of sales teams start with a ton of product training, a ton of solution training, a ton of us, 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 me, 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 here's your pitch, go, right? Mm -hmm. When you make the list, you're responsible. You, you need to understand who you sell to first. You need to understand what problems, because if you don't know those two things, you go create very good lists. If Zoom info disappeared tomorrow, if LinkedIn disappeared tomorrow, you as a seller need to know how to find that buyer, regardless of where they are. You need to understand how to find them, how to build a list, and then how to connect with them and how to reach out. What's up, humans? You're listening to the Revenue Real Hotline. I'm your host, Amy Rehubchek. If you're looking to get more comfortable with the uncomfortable conversations every seller has to have in their role, this is the show for you. That was Jeff Swan. Jeff is the founder and CEO of Outbound SOS. And in this episode, I talk with Jeff about how the quality of the list that you have is significantly more impactful than everything else that you do. We tackle questions like who's responsible for the lead list, what happens when sellers are too disconnected from the process, and what components make up a great outbound strategy. We dive into the topic of the buyer's journey and the two different selling motions you inevitably stumble on while prospecting. We get into this and much, much more, but before we get to Jeff, I wanted to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. And if you subscribe, I'd certainly appreciate if you could tell me how I'm doing in the form of a review. Thank you, friends. I appreciate you. All right, let's do it. Jeff Swan, mm-hmm. welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline. I'm excited for this conversation. And I thank you very much, sir, for making time for us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Amy. It's it's always a pleasure when we chat. So why not why not click record and, and make it a record, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. So Jeff, I saw a poll that you did recently on LinkedIn. And I'm gonna read it for for our listeners. Who should be responsible for building highly targeted and fully ready prospect lists? And then the choices were the SCRs and AE themselves, marketing, an outsourced team or like a technology like Zoom Info. I picked the SDRs and AE themselves, and so did 51% of others. But before I get into why, what made you write this post? What was going on behind the scenes that triggered this one? Yeah, that's a good question. So I talk to people every single day, sellers, sales leaders, founders, and everybody is always um, trying to get the best results out of their sales. And The, the number one thing that I've noticed in every single person, every single team that is falling behind is that the list makes the hugest difference. So the quality of the list that you have is, is significantly more impactful than pretty much everything else you do. And that's something I, I not only believe, but I've seen it proven time and time again. So I have this little um, analogy that I like to to coach when we're talking about two people trying to get escape the forest and one person is running as fast as he can. He's running through the forest and he's just going, just frustrating because he's just getting deeper and deeper. The other person decides, okay, I'm just going to climb the tree and I'm going to look where the exit is. And then boom, that person actually ends up getting out of the forest faster. Okay. So the concept here, and I notice this with so many teams is that they think efficiency, productivity are going to make them better sellers when the reality is actually taking a step back, making sure you have the right list 
making sure you have the right strategy, make sure you have the right messaging are the things that actually make an impact in an overarching sales team. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, so we were just joking around behind or before I press record about Colin's live <laughs> calling and, and the coaching. Yeah. It's a great show. Everyone who hasn't checked it out, it's talk about like a, how many CROs that like actually get on the phone and do call calls, but to live stream it on a weekly basis. But anyway, that's was one of the first things that I said that the quality of your lead list directly correlates with the quality of the conversations that you have. And it didn't occur to me until recently how rare it is to see this done. And it just seems so obvious, but I want to take a step back. Like what, what, one of the other aspects of who creates the lead list that's important, at least from where I'm sitting, is that it allows for like the front of the pipeline, the SDRs to exhibit or exude some aspect of control and autonomy and creativity around who it is that they're contacting. And I myself have gone too far in the like wrong direction where you like emotionally invest in some of the leads <laughs> that are on your <laughs> list. Like you really want, you want them to come in. But I, I don't know, like Jeff, why is this so rare to see this done properly, right? Both the understanding of giving the SDRs or the BDRs the autonomy to develop mm-hmm. the list, the instruction around like how the strongest list or factors or segments include three different factors above and beyond title, geographic region, seniority, all that that jazz. But like, what do you think? What To your point, one of the most important things that you can do um, for your sales team is empower them to connect with the buyer. Mm-hmm. Okay. The majority of sales teams start with a ton of product training, a ton of solution training, a ton of us, 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 me, 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 here's your pitch, go. Right. Mm-hmm. When you make the list, when you're responsible for the list, you're responsible. You, you need to understand who you sell to first. You need to understand what problems, because if you don't know those two things, you go create very good lists. Right. If you outsource that process and lists are created for you, you can get into emotion. There are ways to outsource, to use technology, to do all these different things, to make a list that can create good lists, but then you're disconnected from it. So then the seller is disconnected from it. If they get a great script that just works for their industry, mm-hmm. right? Or a great formula, even better. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. So they've got a great sales enablement team, but the majority of companies out there don't have a great sales enablement team. Mm-hmm. And a great one that will make up for the lack of experience or skills in the seller. That's something that is really key here. You have to have, as a seller, you have to have your own ability that if Zoom Info disappeared tomorrow, if LinkedIn disappeared tomorrow, you as a seller need to know how to find that buyer, regardless of where they are. You need to understand how to find them, how to build a list, and then how to connect with them and how to reach out. Does that make sense? It, of course, it makes perfect sense. And I think you said on something that's so important, which is how to find them. And like I'm remembering when I was first learning to sell, I it was it was in my dad's brokerage, so financial services, and which was actually the precursor to ADP. When I was like, oh, I can't work with my dad anymore. But like, <laughs> I had, since I was fresh out of college, I had this passion about my generation and the student loan mm-hmm. because it was right before everyone started talking about student loans. And it was just, it, 
I, I remember having conversations with my friends as we graduated, right? Graduation week at American University. And I was floored by the percentage of us that had over triple digits in loans for a bachelor's degree at American. And I was fortunate in that regard. Anyway, so I was like, all right, so I'm going to be operating in financial services, but how do I marry this with my passion to teach kids about money? And so I've tried a bunch of things, including like seminars at libraries or whatever. And the first thing that stuck, I put together this talk on how to teach kids about money. And I started marketing it to mom's groups. And there's tons of those, like tons of those. And for the first time, there were people in these events that I was hosting, but it wasn't because I had developed a new curriculum or content that worked. I just realized that I was going to have far more success if I went to where people were already gathered as opposed to trying to create the gathering myself. And so that that aha moment for me, that never left me. And I look at people that are creating content on LinkedIn and comment threads as a gathering around a particular topic. And it's so rarely utilized right from where I'm sitting. And how do you help coach teams through that? Like to think of not just who your buyer is and and the problem that you're solving. And there's also obviously an upside on the opportunities that you create by selling. It's not all about chasing the problems, but like, how do you help people to understand the scope of where your buyers are currently hanging out? So that's more tactical. I'm going to start first with a more strategic approach and then I'll get to the tactical. Okay. okay? Yeah. So the way I look at it is I like to use the story brand concept of the hero's journey story. So I don't just look at the problems. I look at the goals and the things that are standing in their way of getting their goal. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I look first is what are their immediate goals, things I need to solve today. And what are goals that I have are aspirational? Okay. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in a football team, I'm immediately trying to get a first down, but my aspiration is to win the Super Bowl. So that's really important to understand that journey and know, in fact, what is motivating people to do what they do. And then along the way, there's roadblocks. So there's things that stand in the way of achieving those immediate goals and those long-term goals. And people buy solutions. So they buy, I don't know, if I have a a CRM problem, I'll buy Salesforce and that's a solution, Mm -hmm. but there's going to be drawbacks. Now you have to hire somebody to run Salesforce because it's not exactly a crazy like plug and play software. (laughs) So we start by first understanding that whole journey and the whole journey that they're going through and the types of solutions that they use to solve those problems. Okay. Mm -hmm. Why that's important now from a tactical perspective is that as I understand the journey that they go through, I actually understand what solutions that I can plug into my list building software and identify Salesforce. That's a software that I want to sell against. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you're lucky enough to have the software, if you can look at, you can do a Boolean search online to look at social media posts of somebody talking about their Salesforce and problems. Jeff, or you can, I, I used to get all crazy. Like I would know who the Salesforce AE was and I would follow their new connections and, and play it backwards from yeah. that perspective. Okay. Wow. I can't believe. So finish that thought. And then we're going to, okay. you pivoted us to where we're going to go. So I'm trying to yeah. not interrupt you. Please continue. I'll give you, I'll give you another, I'll give you another tactical on that. So I said, Boolean search, you could actually just look online, people complaining about Salesforce, that kind of thing. Right. You can get a tool like Hootsuite, which is a social media listening tool, Mm -hmm. and you can create an actual feed. So they allow you to 
create a feed on a bunch of different social networks based on keywords. Yeah. But you can actually look for Salesforce sucks, mad at Salesforce. Like just those phrases that people say, well, if you're selling against Salesforce as an ex- in this obvious example, mm-hmm. um, if you're selling against it, then there's so many different key phrases that people use and they type it in. So they might tweet out that says, I hate Salesforce today. Or one of the phrases we used to have at a company I worked with, one of my good friends and head of operations there, she said, if you're dealing with Salesforce, you're going to have a bad day. So I would type in these tools or these search terms into Hootsuite. I'd create this feed. So I'd Mm -hmm. automatically, every single day, anytime I look, I can see an entire list of people who tweeted, I hate Salesforce. Not happy with Salesforce. Right? Yeah. Okay. Oh man, I love this. I love where this conversation has has gone because I've been thinking really deeply about this one and you're the perfect person to talk about this with. Okay. So the other piece that is just like a head scratcher for me is the, so it's around like this strategy of developing these lists and obviously listeners, right? This is a we're about to drop some like a very different way to think about this critical first step for outbound. And that is that we, when I think segmentation, Right. When, and what most people, I would say, when we think segmentation, I still see a lot of that historic, let's segment people by title, by department, geographic region, industry, whatever. All well and good, important things to keep in mind. However, this was not how I segmented at any point. And there were two things that I want to point out. The first is that there, I don't want to paint with such a broad brush and say that there's only two types of people or prospects out there, but like for our purposes, there are people that understand the problem already and have generally tried to solve it already once or twice to varying degrees of success. And the second, do not understand. And that is a big differentiator because I tended to focus on those that already understood the nature of the problem because I realized that if they understood the why, then I didn't have to spend half the sales motion educating them on the why. as So selling the why, as well as selling the how. I could focus 100% on the how. Those motions were more fun. They moved faster. It was just like a, a game changer. And, and there are little clues that people drop in, in their digital footprint that, that let you know a little bit on, on what path they're in, number one. Number two, it's the defensive mindset versus the offensive mindset. And I would point out, did you ever read, I think it was Gartner wrote, published this one. It was called The Wolf in CIO's Clothing. Do you remember something like that? That was a while ago. Yeah, it was a while ago, right? Now, so listeners, this was an an exceptional book, especially if you're a fan of Machiavelli or I would like myself, but you could pull out that word CIO in the title and place replace it with CMO. And the concept was that like really as things change, which is the only constant or constant as a leader, really people have two options. We can either get defensive about said changes and we build up walls and silos around our department and what responsibilities we have. That's column A. And then column B is the offensive minded executive or uh, decision maker or whatever. And these are the humans that understand that their path to relevance is to change and to stay in front of and like to learn new things and stay open-minded and curious. And for the same reason that those that already understood the nature of the problem made for great prospects, Mm -hmm. those that were offensive-minded made for phenomenal prospects. And so this is not to say that we don't contact or we don't reach out to the latter categories in both scenario. However, they're completely different 
conversations. And again, I, I just don't see many people teaching or coaching on not only what these things are and how they impact, as yeah. well as what clues that we can ascertain, let's say from somebody's LinkedIn profile that would let us know which category someone falls into. But wait, uh, like any thoughts on that? Yeah, I have so many comments on that. So first and foremost, when you're looking at offensive versus defensive, there's two different selling motions. One, when they're defensive, when they, uh, if I'm to understand your analogy correctly, it's more of, I have a problem, but I don't really understand it yet. So I need to be educated before I end up getting in that situation of valuation. When I'm defensive, that's really where your long tail marketing approach takes place. Okay. So as an example, I have a, a thing called the Alfred method sequence. So this is what I teach my, my students. And the first component is connect where you're actually spending time, whether if it's, if it's an offensive prospect who, you know, is in the market right now, then the connect phase is maybe three, three touches and it's quick right into your sales process. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's just connecting saying, Hey, I saw you were looking at this, blah, 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 blah. Here's something that'll help you do. That's the first phase. However, if they're defensive, they don't know they have the problem yet. So that's more of the people saying, I hate Salesforce. Okay. They don't necessarily know they need to switch to another tool. They don't necessarily know that they're using Salesforce for a marketing automation tool when they should be using an a mar actual marketing automation tool. Right, right, right. So then they have a little bit of a difference. So now the connect phase is not a quick three steps into my sales funnel. Mm -hmm. Now it's more in a couple steps into my nurture funnel where I'm educating them on the topic at hand. Okay. So it's not that one makes a better prospect or the other. It's that one is when to is, start it. It's when to start it. It's if you're looking for, I need to close some deals today, or I don't pay my rent at the end of the month, then I want to go after the offensive. Okay. If it's, I want to have a kick-ass sales year and own the leaderboard, I want to go after a mix of both. Okay. So I we, we may have to agree to disagree on that one, but I love the pushback. And you mm -hmm. raise a great point. So nurture files, I'm, we used to call them tickler files. I may be dating myself on that one where you tickle the like, old older systems. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. This was... You know, a little bit after I was I walked to school in the snow uphill both ways without shoes. But yeah. okay, but I like I love it, and I'm remind like I would do the first meeting with everybody because I believe the first ask yeah. when you're reaching out is you're not you're looking for people that have to band. You're looking to have a conversation with somebody, and yeah. you can suss out whether and or not it's a good fit right through that conversation. However, oh, that which is where we're pivoting to. So good, I'm glad you brought yeah. that up. But anyway, it's I was. I would very often make note of where someone was at on their learning journey, right? Or their yes. path. Yes. And would, when I, I would set up alerts to very similar to your Hootsuite alerts for like business problem, like content, someone that wrote yeah. an article based on a content. And so I was constantly, this is what I would do in the morning. I would read all the new stuff that was around like what I was marketing, what I was selling. And then when I would read something that reminded me of a conversation with one of the people in my tickler file or nurture <laughs> campaign, mm -hmm. read this thought of you, right? In mm -hmm. this particular line, in this particular paragraph. And also I would end our first call with, okay, here are the things that here are the criteria that would set up a motion like this that you know mm -hmm. we would pr pursue together, set it up for success. And so when you do these things or do 75% of these things, mm -hmm. come back 
and come find me and then we'll pick it up from there. And, and it's actually quite shocking, frankly, how many people would circle back after the strength and caliber of that first conversation when mm-hmm. they had done those first few things. So I'm with you though on on doing both, taking both conversations. Okay. So to the learning and to the learning path, right? This is, I think, another piece of where where our filter bubble around segmentation misses the opportunity of where the puck is going to be. If we're doing our emotions properly, we're educating. Our buyer's yeah. looking to learn something. And the segmentation, to your point, it's like where it starts is where they're at on their learning path or which learning path someone is currently on. And so depending on your product set or, or what have you, for example, at SalesCast, right? This is something that we're working on. And we opted for a segmentation based on learning to guest. Mm-hmm launching and hosting. So launching a show and learning how to be a host, Mm -hmm. then it's marketing the show and then it's monetizing the show. And you can have somebody that's got a hundred episodes and be a certain point and versus somebody that's done two episodes and is at that same point. And so the historic segmentation, it doesn't carry over right into this Mm -hmm. new path that aligns with learning journeys. But what would you say to that? What's Okay. So this is where a lot of sellers are trying to take on a lot these days, like Mm -hmm. trying to take on too much. This is where you need to connect with marketing. And you need to, to, to define that learning. Your job as the seller and making that initial connect and getting them engaged in the learning funnel mm-hmm. um, is to have those great conversations you had, Amy. Mm-hmm. Understand what they're looking for, what the problems they have, what where they are in their learning journey, and be able to tack that into your CRM so that it can indicate to your marketing team what type of nurture needs to go out. The first step is which is the right nurture for this person based on that initial conversation that you have. Mm-hmm. Okay. You might have one nurture because it's a small company, doesn't have a lot of resources, or there's a, a, a minimal buyer journey. I work with companies where there might have been a dozen different nurtures you could pop in, depending mm-hmm. on the persona or the customer segment or um, where they are in their buyer journey, like all these different things, their, their, their explicit wants and needs, that kind of thing. What happens from there now, and I'm, I don't want to get too far into this because this is uh, not a marketing show, but what happens from there? You can do whatever now, the hell you want on my show, Jeff Swan. <laughs> I can do anything. You can okay, do whatever you want. Don't give me carte blanche. <laughs> I will do anything. But but yeah, from there now, this is where the marketing automation tool that you companies you folks use, not necessarily the outreach or sales loft. That's not marketing automation. Mm-hmm. And I hate the fact that I'm seeing people say it's marketing automation because it's not. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's sales engagement. Mm-hmm. That's just a, a gripe I have of just. Uncovered this gripe in the last couple of weeks, so don't mind me. But uh, a marketing automation tool will actually allow you to track a digital footprint. And if you have multiple different nurtures mm-hmm. that are behavior based, mm-hmm. then what will happen is that if somebody does this action, they will be placed into this nurture. If mm-hmm. somebody does that action, they'll be placed into that nurture. Mm-hmm. And you have this tree. And so they go on their own learning journey based on a choose your own adventure. And then they end up back in the right sales funnel when they're ready. So this is pretty advanced and I don't expect a lot of companies to do it, but the companies that do that have these amazing learning, like buyer journeys, amazing buyer experience. Okay. Friendly reminder for those that are aspiring to do it. Step one of that buyer's journey awareness phase. Most think of awareness of the product or whatever you're repping. That is not what awareness is to, and Jeff hit it on the head when he first spoke about this awareness of the problem. And so that is, that is the starting point. 
Okay, so Jeff Swan, let's pivot to some uncomfortable conversations. Let oh, me do okay. one one more on that because okay. I need to cut and close this. Oh, out, you're gonna okay? bring it back for us. Okay. Bring it back. Okay. So everything we talked about and when we're creating the right list, we just talked about a lot of the behavioral stuff, right? So I call those triggers and tie-ins. So the triggers are the behavioral triggers that somebody demonstrates online, whether it's uh, in public or through your nurture journey, that'll say these people are ready for the sales funnel now. Okay. The tie-ins are the language that they use in their posts that you use to make your outreach. If somebody says, I hate Salesforce, my subject line is going to be, I hate Salesforce too. Here's why. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Then you have your traditional list, which is the demographics, firmographics. It's, I call it qualification. Mm-hmm. So when you're building your list to your point earlier, and I'm, I'm, I'm cementing your point here for you, Amy, is that it ain't just about the qualification. It's qualification triggers tie-ins. If you research based on those three points, you're going to have an amazing kick-ass list that you can reach out to right away with personal, personalized and relevant outreach. I love it. I love it. Also known as sentiment. So we've been playing with Ample Market. Yep. Plug to my friends at Ample Market and yep. <laughs> um, creating lists around sentiment. So let's say somebody does a particular post about a topic like whether or not relationships are important while selling. And you can create those lists based on, again, that those like-minded value sets, which is another fantastic way to do it. And again, shout out Ample Market. One last thing about outbound stuff, make it fun, have fun laugh with your peers with your peers Jeff just wrote me a note everyone on Salesforce and he's or in uh, in Zoom and he's what did I mention in the type form I looked for your type form answers I find them which is like what the hell I went to send them to you and they weren't there so we're just going to wing it here but yeah have fun laugh with your um, prospects laugh with your team and be sure to have things of value to say while interrupting people's day Um, again makes all the difference, not even for the caliber of the conversation, but for your headspace, right? If you know that you have something of value to add and to give, it certainly makes the process more, not just enjoyable, but also effective. Ah, Okay, Jeff Swan. So uncomfortable conversations. What is the most uncomfortable conversation that you've ever had to have in a revenue? Okay. So... Jeff, I don't remember what you said about your uncomfortable conversation, but wait, let's if oh, I have off a ton the top to draw. of your head. Yeah, I have a ton to head. draw from. I've been in this game 17 years mm-hmm. in B2B. I've been in B2C five years before that. So I have a lot of uncomfortable conversations to talk about. Which is the one that like kept you up most at night, sir? None. I have an amazing knack for taking those conversations, turning them into business, and then moving on. <sighs> So great. What a great point. It's such a differentiator to handle them. It's my favorite part about sales. All right. What's the one you think about the most then? Uh, Yeah. So the first one that popped in my head Mm -hmm. was where I had to tell, and this is not the only time I've done it. Mm -hmm. I've had to tell a CEO at a multi-billion dollar company that he was the reason why things were going. No, it wasn't. Sorry. It wasn't a CEO. It was like a district uh, executive. So the the person who was- Someone higher up. Yeah. Someone higher up that could- crush me with the weight of the pinky ring that he has. And I was just a lowly sales guy at the time. But yeah, this was probably my, to this day, it's my most profitable project. It was 95% profit Mm -hmm. from a brand that when I added it to my portfolio, I closed a ton of revenue. 
So just for having this brand, I'm not going to mention it, but just by having this logo on my portfolio, I was able to close probably 30% more business over the the next two years. And it was 95% profitability. So you can imagine how good of a project this was and how hard this conversation was. Yeah. So we had a definitive deadline and remember with multi-billion dollar companies, there's many different stakeholders. So when there's a deadline on something, it's because the committee is, has decided that this is the specific deadline, Mm -hmm. right? And side note, I was the seller. I was not the project manager. So this has made it even more difficult. So we agreed that it was mission critical that this project be done in three weeks. Okay. We set a firm deadline. I sent out a scope. They signed it, initialed it. This person signed it, initialed it, all those things. We got, and and I, I learned really quickly to make crystal clear scopes so that nothing can be left off the table. Nothing can be left to interpretation. In scope and out of scope too. You list those bad boys right I now. Do. <laughs> I do. I do. So I had these five, I had a quote that was this long and a freaking book that was this long of scope. So we all agreed that no matter what happens, if we were a day late, we lose the contract. Mm -hmm. So I was an absolute stickler. This is going to be on time. Mm -hmm. I made sure my entire team pushed everything else to second priority, whatever else to make sure that it's going through. I sent out the approvals for Mm -hmm. the first phase Mm -hmm. on day four, exactly on schedule, like we were supposed to. I received his return back seven or three days later on day seven. Okay. Mm-hmm. Three days later was not what we agreed on. Mm-hmm. One day turn, same day turnaround is what we agreed on. Mm-hmm. So he came back to me, gave me that. I pushed my team to make up for his difference. Mm-hmm. I pushed them, mm-hmm. sent out for the second round of approvals, did not meet those. It was a week this time. So we were like a day before deadline. So I had to tell this gentleman that we are not hitting deadline. Here's why. Mm-hmm. And he, he was a big circle. Okay. The reason why is me having to talk to you and go through you to do this. Mm-hmm. Also known as bottleneck. Is the reason. And then I proposed, here's what we're going to do instead. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. I need to talk, have a contact directly on the team that we're working with. I need you to be there CC what's going on, but I can't have you be the approver. Someone else needs to be a prover on that specific team that we need to get it done. I need to have booked times in our calendars to get this completed. And I also need another three weeks to complete the job. So had to double the time, all these other things. The reason why I needed three weeks instead of just like the the difference in the days is because pull your magic eight ball and shake it and ask. No, we had other projects that we pushed Mm -hmm. towards to get this stuff done. We had other workflows. We had, we had other commitments. This was, even though it was most profitable project, it only represented about 30% of our revenue that month. So it wasn't like, it wasn't enough to push the other projects. And I was willing to let this deal go now at this point, Mm -hmm. right? Because at this point, it's not going to happen. So we had that uncomfortable conversation. I was very lucky that this gentleman was nice and pleasant and probably used to having tougher conversations given his role. And then he said, I'll call you back. Okay. I waited and that's where I was. I didn't let it go because I was scared shitless. Like this literally would have paid my rent for three months. Like it would have been good. So I was sitting there biting my nails, whatever. Finally, the guy calls me back 25 minutes. He says, okay, I talked to my team. We're going to meet all your demands and you're able to get this extension. 
And then he thanked, and then he thanked me. He thanks me for being bold. You know what? I love that. I had a couple of things that I just want to make sure our listeners captured. Number one, we documented the scope at the onset of the project, right? So both what yeah. in scope and out of scope, that helps tremendously when you need something to point back to. By the way, listeners, for those that are not familiar with project management terms or concepts, I used to think about one opportunity equals one project. And my life got significantly better and easier once I learned about project management things and was able to use these pretty standard terms and concepts while selling. Life-changing. Okay. One opportunity equals one project. So documenting the the scope of, let's say, the sales motion or the trial or whatever, like that goes a long way when you have something to point back at after the fact. Number one. Number two, Jeff, you went in there, the problem, why it was happening and what to do about it or your suggestion around what to do about it. And so I heard preparation and I heard proposing a, a solution on the spot. And yeah, so it doesn't surprise me that it went the way that it did. But I think that many of us can relate to that like scariness mm-hmm. when it's such a large opportunity, whether that's a client or prospect. However, I'm with you that when we do lean into those hard conversations, it what it really does is it, it sets you. We, th- we hear a lot of talk about differentiation and how to differentiate. Let me tell you, friends, you lean into the hard conversations and with mastery, like Jeff described, you don't have to work very hard to differentiate yourself at that point moving forward. And I'm with you on the strength of the relationship. It, it deepens from there. Okay. So, Jeff, one. Oh, yeah. What were you going to say? Can I speak just sure. because? I think that's a good lesson to confirm what you just said is that at this same company in the market, and I just as a side story, because it really has to cement this for our sellers out there in the market, it was known that you would send in a request for a quote as a buyer and you would get 10 quotes by the end of lunch. Okay. So this was very common practice in this industry. Mm-hmm. What I used to do is I'd call people within two minutes of me getting the lead. Like as soon as I got the lead, I, I dialed right away. As soon as my phone could dial And then I would book a meeting, face-to-face meeting with them, okay? And so many people gave me pushback. And if they gave me pushback too much, then I just, okay, we're not doing business. That's fine. But the people that were able to have the conversation, they recognized that there's something different. And I was going for the hard thing. I wasn't giving them what they wanted. I was giving them what they needed. What they've always done. This is how we do it with RFPs or RFIs and... Awesome. Exactly. That's amazing. Exactly. And I'm kudos to you on, on having those that weren't in, in aligned uh, disqualify themselves, right? If you don't yeah. have a one, one conversation, let me just save myself uh, and my team's time and energy by not even request or responding to your RFP. That's oh, amazing. Yeah. My price was 10 times the, the, the rest of them. So I'm never winning yeah, on you, price. You need, yeah, you need, that, you need that personal relationship there. Yeah, I, they were selling projects for three grand. I was doing 30. They were selling five grand. I was selling for 50. There's no way I'm winning on the scope and quote. Amazing. All right. So one, one piece of advice about uncomfortable conversations. Know yourself, have conviction. If you're going into that conversation, second guessing yourself and thinking that the other person might be right, or that you might be wrong in the situation, even if you think right and wrong, you're, you're in trouble. You're not going to have a good conversation. You need to understand that you're going in there with your conviction, your values, and your read on the situation. Like I've always been a project manager. I've been very good at that my whole career. So going into sales conversations with a very crystal clear scope and all these things, it's been, it makes it really easy, but it's because I have clear conviction. I say, Amy, you signed right here. You signed this right here. So we're going to talk about this right here. Did I deliver this? Yes. 
then please explain why this is. And so you have to have conviction and, and unwavering so that when people push back and a lot, and I, I talked about an uncomfortable conversation where the guy was very amiable and it was very easy, right? He didn't make it difficult for me, mm-hmm. but I've had way harder conversations in a similar situation where people weren't as nice. And I had to, I literally gotten screaming matches with some people because they would boil about scope that they agreed to. But it was the nature of the business I was in is that a lot of people didn't understand what they were buying. So I tried to educate at the beginning. And then you tried to educate your buyers. No way. Is that also a big part of selling? What a surprise. A (laughs) hundred (laughs) percent. This is what this means. This is what that means. (laughs) All right, Jeff, tell me about Outbound SOS. Yeah. Tell us about Outbound SOS. So what we do is we solve the number one problem that companies have is what we do is we teach people ways to book more than 10 meetings a month per seller. We teach organizations how to staff how to resource for a pipeline generating machine. Okay. So right now uh, we're focusing on a group coaching program called meetings where you guessed it. The purpose of it is to book meetings. Okay. (laughs) So we solved the first three problems Uh, I mentioned previously that I deal with people in all levels of organization for my 17 year career. And the the three problems that I see the most often are that people don't know where to start. They're unsure of who to target and what to say, or they don't know exactly how to generate sales conversations. Mm -hmm. Or three, when they get those sales conversations, they don't know how to convert them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we actually help solve by uh, giving them a very crystal clear process to start with how to build a list. What we talked about today, you met, you heard it, the qualification triggers and tie-ins, those kind of things. We teach them an actual outreach strategy that consistently produces double-digit response from outreach. Mm -hmm. And then we teach how to manage those conversations to turn them into educational learning for both sides and building relationships and then managing any type of objections or key questions that we have through what I call arm-squared response management. Man, learning on both sides. Listen to your damn calls, seller friends. Listen to those <laughs> damn calls, or else I'm going to bring you on the podcast and move, and you can listen to the conversation in a much more raw and vulnerable way. But listen to your damn calls. This is the only yeah. way. Pretend it's game footage. There is no other way. All right, mm-hmm. Jeff Swan, you flipping rock. Thank you so much for making time for us today. Thank you so much for doing what you do. And I, I want you to know I appreciate it, and I appreciate you. Same here, Amy. Thank you so much for having me on. And to all you listeners out there, listen to Amy. She knows what she's talking about. (laughs) Jeff, can I have that in writing, please? (laughs) You got it in camera. You got it in digital. You got it in audio. You got this. (laughs) Bye, Jeff. Bye. And that wraps another installment of the Revenue Rail Hotline. I'd like to thank my guest for sharing their insights today. And I'd like to thank you, listener, for hanging out with us through the remainder of the conversation. I appreciate you. If you like what we're doing here, do tell a friend. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen or write a review. Something that can easily be done over at the new website, RevenueReal.com. All these actions go so far, friend, and I thank you. Until next time, all, I'm Amy Rehubchek. This is the Revenue Real Hotline, and happy selling.